0: We're back on topic this week with the Church of Ephesus. I'm moving close to y'all within spitting distance, so be ready. I'm going to get to where I can see everybody eventually here and just get right up amongst you. <clears throat> That's the, the gift of the working in, in a restaurant, a preaching in a restaurant with the pillars and everything. You have to work around stuff. But today, I'm going to talk to you about a subject... I mean, I don't, I don't think I'm like the foremost expert, especially when you compare me to Paul or somebody like that. But I know a little bit about suffering. And today we're going to talk about suffering. If, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 3. That's where we're going to begin in Ephesians chapter 3. <coughs> and you can just leave it right there for right now. Now, as some of you know, we've been talking over the past week about uh, this show that I'm like been infatuated with. I finally finished it. So I saw who, who, how the end turned out. I've been, I've, I, I like happen to be like glancing through the uh, cable package or whatever that we have through Time Warner. And we have like this on-demand thing. And to be honest, I'm pretty ignorant about what's all out there. I haven't really looked through it all. But I just happen to be like looking through something, trying to find. Because I, like, I don't like watching a lot. There's a lot of things I like and a lot of things I don't. And uh, I'm going through the History Channel. And one of the shows that apparently that's, I missed, but it's there on on-demand so I could go back and kind of watch it is this show called The Selection. And mo- Most of you have heard of it, uh, but it's, the, what the show is about is, is basically they're narrowing down these individuals uh, into this process uh, uh, um, of like this special forces type thing. The, the, it's made up of Navy SEALs, Army Rangers, and Green Berets. And all of these men, one thing they have in common is there's all been a selection process uh, in how they were picked. They they threw a group together. They put this group through a training exercise. Uh, whoever was left is then taken in and, and kind of grafted in to be a SEAL or grafted in to be um, a Green Beret and so forth. And so what they've done is they wanted, civilians wanted this, they, or maybe this idea that they were going to offer the, some of this to civilians a bit to see what it would be like. And um, so they took 30 individuals and they stuck them on this show and they have navy seal instructors they have green beret instructors and army ranger instructors and all these guys have seen combat all these guys are like like just awesome and and they put these 30 people through this process they call the selection and if you watched it, I know some of you have because I've been talking about it for a little while. It's like been very impressive for me as a guy who was a Marine watching this thing and relating to a lot of it. You know, having gone through a lot of things myself and and seeing this, I'm like, yeah, I'm just like, oh, this is funny. This is great. They're just hurting. They're crying. Ha, 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 you know, because they're, it's just suffering. But you volunteer for it, man. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, uh, I mean... <laughs> It's just funny because you, you wanted to see what it was like, man. It's hard. It's not easy, right? And so as the show continues, they're like dropping like flies. And when I say dropping like flies, I mean like within two days, they went from 30 to 15. These, like the guys that they got are not like weak guys either. These are guys who do like CrossFit. They do marathons. I mean like on the weekends. These are people who like they're in shape. They don't make it past day two. I, I will say that I am impressed because they didn't go through boot camp. Uh, at least anybody that's been a Green Beret or Navy SEAL, so they've gone through some sort of training, some sort of physical, mental kind of thing, and they kind of have an idea. But man, these people are dropping like flies. And it's not just a physical beatdown, it's a mental beatdown. And so we're getting to the last two episodes this past week, and I'm, and I'm talking to Joy, and I was like, these are going to be the best ones. And she's like, what are you talking about? It's like, dude, there's like nobody, there's, by the way, it, it lasted 11 days. On day 10, all that's left is five, All right. Ten days, they went from 30 people to five people. That's how difficult this thing was, right? And I said, now comes the fun part. And she goes, what are you talking about? I said, man, now comes the brotherhood. I said, this thing that gets forged out of all the suffering, now this this thing that begins to take place. I said, get ready. I said, "Uh, um, this thing, as they get closer to the end, they're going to connect. They're going to start to create a bond. And the reason why is because they got nothing else. And I don't mean like there's nobody else around. I mean like they're at the physical end of their capabilities. And so now... It's not just enough to live for themselves. They have to live for something else to keep their mind off themselves, their failures upon themselves. Because they're coming to their physical end, their mental end. It's coming to the end. And so what they do is now they're going to think about somebody else and something else, and that's going to help them get through, and it's going to create this loyalty to one another. And I'm telling you, man, uh, one of the answers. So the first guy's crossing this finish line. By the way, which he doesn't know is the finish line, right? So when they tell him and they shake his hand, says, and you passed it. He's like, he just bawled his eyes out, started hugging. Everybody. I mean, and this guy was like a true physical specimen, but I mean, he like breaks right there. Well, the second guy coming in, when they ask him, he says, "Man, what kept you going? Because we thought there for a while you weren't going to make it." And he goes, "Oh." And, and by the way, they don't have names on the show; they go by numbers. And there is no prize at the end. There's no money. You did this to find out who you are. Like out of the fire, what are you going to become? Right. And so, like the second guy that runs in, one of the things that he says that I loved, I, I loved every bit of it. He says. I kept going because all I could think about, he's his, his number 19 and number 12 was the first one. to He goes, all I could think about is number 12 yelling at me, man, to make it, to not give up. And I thought, man, if I gave up now, I'd be letting him down. He just met the guy 10 days ago. Like, truthfully, he doesn't know much about him except that he suffered with him. He's been holed up in a box when they did the POW training and stuck him in a box for hours on end. They've endured some things together now. Right? It's, it's, it's funny. Like, we don't have a lot in common. We come from different places, but all of a sudden ten days later, and this guy, man, I can't let this guy down if it means physically coming to a point where I'm incapable. I can't let this guy down. I told Joy, I said, that's the part where I cry. She's crying for all these guys along the way, like, feeling so sorry for them. I'm like, this is the part where I cry. That part where you suffer together, right? And I, and I like to think I know a little, a little bit about how that takes place, and Joy's like, how did you know? I was like, well, you know, Marine Corps. Marine Corps. Um... If, if you take a time machine back to 92, I found myself fresh out of high school and uh, from East Texas, never really, uh, I've been to the ocean maybe down here in the Gulf, but that's about it. But I found myself on the sandy oasis of Southern California and uh, I endured the United States Marine Corps and I thought I was in shape when I left. That was not true. I was not in shape at 18 and uh, man, I remember hiking there in boot camp and we were doing our first big ruck where we're going to put the packs, our helmets, our guns, flak jacket. Flak jacket weighs like 15 pounds. The pack weighs like 50 pounds. And I remember looking at the guy in front of me, just trying to focus, man, just like, just keep walking, just keep walking. It was a six mile uh, ruck on sand. And if you haven't rucked on sand or walked on sand, it feels like for every step you take, you're taking a little bit of a step back. So six miles feels like you've been walking 12. I mean, it feels like it doubles it up. And so I was just trying to focus on making it through the pain. I could feel the shin splints you've ever had shin splints, you know, I could feel my thighs burning. I could feel my back. I, uh, I, I remember the difficulty of stepping into the stand and feeling it literally in every, st- in every step I took. I, I was taking that step backwards. And, and as I look, up, I'm just doing everything I can to keep my eyes off how painful it felt for the very first time carrying all that weight and trying to walk in this. And I remember that, that I'm walking, I'm walking, and the next thing I know, I'm waking up with an IV in my arm, and I'm in the back of a Humvee. I had passed out apparently due to heat exhaustion. I was just glad I didn't quit. <laughs> but I passed out literally due to heat exhaustion, my body just shut down. Now, and to make matters worse, this was the first hike of three that we were about to do, and this was the shortest one. <laughs> All right? The next week would be my 10-mile hike, not on the beach, Thank the Lord. That was the only beach one. Uh, and then the next one after that, to graduate or to kind of get out of the second phase of Marine Corps boot camp, I had to do one for 25. And, and uh, I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you, doing a 25-mile hike is far. And I thought, well, that's great. That's probably ever I have to do. I went into Marine Combat training after that. We did two or three rucks, the most being 25. And once you've done one 25, the other 25s don't seem like that much, even though with every hill you take, it's a different feeling. However, you know, you get one of those uh, hardcore uh, Marine Corps or or officers, just any officer really who like is really trying to make a political gain for something, you know, and wants to look good. And uh, one of the longest, the longest one I I eventually went on where we carried full gear, full pack, full everything uh, was in Okinawa and we got up at 12 o'clock in the in the morning and we uh, rucked it for 32 miles back to base. Literally got two weeks off of light duty because our feet were so bad. After that, just blistered to all get out. Wore tennis shoes for two weeks. They put us all on light duty for two weeks, and so th- that was kind of like the good part of the 32 mile deal. Um, the crazy part is again being the brotherhood. We'd gotten about 10 miles from where to the end. And I think we'd already gotten 22 miles. 10 miles towards the end is a guy named uh, Scott Mackling, and Mackling I always liked him. He's kind of a smart aleck, but I mean, who isn't it at 19? And, uh, uh, and, and so Macklin gets where he can't make it. And it looks like he can't make it. And one of the things, that I, I've never been good at running. I have flat feet. I had a disease as a kid that caused me to always kind of be flat feet. But I found out these turkey legs on this chicken body, God designed to go put a ruck on and put a helmet on and go take some weight. And, and uh, in the Marine Corps, it happened to be something I did eventually get good at. And the last 10 miles of that 32-mile hike, I carried his pack because he wasn't going to make it if we didn't. And there is no, I'm going to tell you right now, in the service, in the Army, it doesn't matter what you're in. Everybody makes it. Everybody makes it. Everybody survives. We're as fast as the slowest person. If they can't make it and I can carry their weight, I'm going to carry some of their weight. And when I get too tired, somebody else will carry that weight. If that's what it takes to make him pass or come across that line, that's what it takes, right? And and I honestly look back, and I think my whole Marine Corps life sometimes was just about learning how much pain I could endure. I literally think about it. like I told Joey, like, I don't have to like, worry about what that like, limit is. I've, I've found that limit a couple times. Uh, where, uh, how much I can take before I crack or how much I can take before I just mentally have a breakdown. So I mean, I look back at my Marine Corps life and I think, man, as much as there was some misery in some of that stuff, golly, I learned a lot about who I was. Thus the reason the selection was created that show the same, same idea, right? Now let's fast forward to our scriptures. Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 13, we're just going to read 13 through 21. Listen to Paul as he talks to the church of Ephesus. I think he knows what he's talking about. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with the inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, pain was in Paul's future. (laughs) I think the Marine Corps was also God telling me pain was in my future as well. Like up to that point, I'd been taken care of. My parents took care of me. I lived in my parents' house. I didn't experience bills. I didn't experience a lot of things that come from life. Didn't have a lot of life experiences. Marine Corps kind of ensured me that. But I think really, unfortunately, pain is in everyone's future. There's just no way around it, right? Pain has its place in the fallen world. Paul endured the trials. He endured suffering, and here's the thing, is so will you. It's a fact of life, guys. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 records a list of things that Paul's endured. Now you just tell me if you felt any of this. Rejection, probably relate, some form or fashion. How about identity issues? Yeah, How about whipped five times? Mm -mm, I hadn't hadn't had that one. I've been beat up maybe five times, but not whipped. Uh, Beaten with a rod or stoned. We don't practice that here in the United States. Uh, Although I think I've been hit with a rock before. It doesn't feel good. My own daughter one time hit me with a rock. Where is she at? Yeah. (laughs) She was going to throw a rock over my head, hit me right in the back of the head. Watch this. Wham, right in the back. Oh, my gosh, what are you thinking? I'm going to tell you it hurts. And it was a little rock. I can't imagine being stoned or <laughs> intentionally hit for the rock. Three times Paul was shipwrecked and stranded at sea. I, I mean, you go look at some of the movies that talk about what it's like to be shipwrecked. You can lose your mind out there. It says he was hungry. He, he starved a lot. He stayed thirsty a lot. He was cold. He was naked in some places. They had stripped his clothes from him. He had been snake bitten. Man, not even the ground likes you. I mean, like animals don't even like you. Bad enough, humans are trying to kill you, and then the animals try to kill you too. Paul was an expert in the field of pain management. Total pro at it. Can you imagine Paul today, man? I mean, he's like, hey, just suck it up, man. It's going to be all right. (laughs) Like, dude, uh -uh, I'm going to get some Tylenol for this headache. (laughs) And here's the thing. We need to understand what pain has to offer so we can as well, right? I mean, I don't need to tell you that your life is going to be painful. I don't have to tell you that. You already know that, don't you? You already know that a portion of your life is going to be struggle. A portion of your life is going to be pain. That's just the way it is. It's part of what, listen, a little bit of it's it's part of the process, right? You're all born into pain, and, and, it's kind of a, and, and life has a way of reminding you that, right? The apostle Paul, he actually spends a great deal of time trying to explain that pain is a part of the process of becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's what Christ wants to do inside your heart. It's how he shapes and how he molds you. Paul understood this, and he modeled it pretty well before us, actually. So it makes sense now when we go back and read what he has to say when concerning, when, when we hear the word like everything, when he says something in scriptures, like in Romans eight twenty eight. 28, we know that God causes everything to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose and even here to the church at Ephesus, he, he did this in, in, in the very first chapter. I don't know if he caught it. He says, furthermore, because we're united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Everything. Paul lays down a foundation continually that points to God's using everything in his process, everything in his like tool bag that he can use, and pain is part of that, Right? It's included in that list. I mean, you know this. Deep down in your heart, you know that pain's a great teacher. I mean, if I gave you a minute and I actually started going around the room asking questions, I don't think it'd take long for you to come up with a story where something taught you, like, pretty well, like, to probably never do that again. You ever been whipped as a kid? I got spankings as a kid. I can tell you there's some times my dad spanked me so hard, I'm gonna tell you right now, I never did it again. I just took the one time to learn. Sometimes I needed more. But there were times, man, where the pain is so great. Mm-mm. I learned. That's, uh, I'm not going to do that again. Um, that's, pain's a good teacher. It teaches us a thing or two about life. It's not our favorite teacher, but it is a teacher nonetheless, right? And so it's through these life experiences that we're shaped. Experiences such as love and friendship and pain and suffering and sadness and loneliness, and those seem terrible, but it's not until we experience the fullness of life with Christ that we can really worship God in spirit and truth. You can't just have the things you want and try to push off the things you don't like. That's not how it works. All of it works together, everything pulling together. This is why as we grow older, we learn, as Paul declared, as Christ desires, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. The only way to explore those areas is to go through it all. You can't just choose what you go through. You can't have a Facebook life where you can paint it one way and it's really another. That's not how it works. It's funny that we envy that kind of stuff, but it's the truth. Paul says, "Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God." We, we want that. I hope we do. We want to be complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. I hope so. I mean, do we struggle? Do we struggle in understanding what it is to be complete in Christ? Do you understand what this is to be identified with Him, to be united with Jesus? Because that's Pretty much the whole theme of the first couple of chapters is just how we are united with God, that our identity is one with Christ. This is when you can basically say without a doubt, without any misconceptions of who you belong to because you've experienced life, you've met the fullness of it, you know who you belong to. Now listen, and you should never belong to, nor should you ever identify with your sin. You might struggle with lying. A lot of people do. But you're not forever a liar. You're the child of God being made into the image of Christ. This is your identity. You might struggle with stealing, as some people do. But you are not forever a thief. You are a child of God being made unto the image of Christ, and this is your identity. You might struggle with lust, as many do. But you're not an adulterer or fornicator because you're a child of God made unto the image of Christ, and this is your identity. There are some that struggle with all kinds of sins from homosexuality, but they're a child of God. They might struggle with the sin of homosexuality, but God is faithful to forgive them and begin the process of making them into the image of Jesus. You can struggle with foul language, but you're the child of God. You can struggle with selfishness, anger, self-centeredness, greed, vanity, whatever you're struggling with. That's not who you are. Your pain doesn't get to define you. The things you struggle with, the things that cause you the most irritation, are not what define you. You're defined by the Creator, the image of God. You're being made. It's the process. It's the process. Pain is a part of the process. I know we don't like it, I know we're always praying it away. That's like a whole nother sermon. But it's part of the process. Christ is our goal, to identify ourselves with Him as Lord, God and Savior all. God uses everything He can, everything in His tool bag to make us, to conform us unto the image of Jesus. And that's not easy for somebody who wants to continually sin. Now you don't, I don't think sometimes you even intentionally, I think sometimes it's subconsciously you sin. And the reason why is because by your nature you're a sinner. The Bible's very clear about that. Supernaturally because the Bible also is clear as how can the, the leopard change its spots. So how, how all of a sudden do I take the sinner and I make them the saint? Christ does that part. That's the supernatural part. Anytime you do good, you should know that's a miracle. That's like the evidence of Jesus and the evidence of God because it's not in you to do so. By the way, when I say good, I don't mean like you just did a good thing by handing somebody some money. No, I mean anything that exalts and glorifies Jesus Christ. Because there's a lot of people that do good works, but that doesn't mean they're saved. Doing good works for self-centeredness and and narcissism and uh, uh, self-exaltation, there's a lot of that that goes on, and it's subtle. That's why you can be a good person and still go to hell. Good works, the truly good works, are godly works, works that stem from Christ, that bring exaltation and glory to God. God uses everything he can, even pain, and the truth is you're better for it. This week I saw on Facebook a post by Janelle Embry. Y'all know her husband, Kyle. Kyle's a missionary we support here. Um, Kyle was here this last year. We'll have him here again this year. Uh, and Janelle was talking about Mallory. And Mallory uh, is being bullied at middle school. And she's like, man, I never thought, you know, we, she, she as a pastor has talked about it a lot. They've they've. They address it at just about every school that they go to. You know, all the time they're talking about no bully and stuff. And now their daughter is on the front end of that. And, <clears throat> and I begin to talk to her a little bit about it. And I'm not advocating bullies or saying it's okay to be one. However, my comment to her was like this. When she was like, oh, I just don't know what I'm going to do. And I know, and I, lo- I watched all the comments. Well, you should say this and you should do this and da, da, da. And my comment was this. The knife isn't sharpened without the stone. Adversity is a hard teacher, I know, but sometimes it's hard to see how we benefit from such things. But we will, and we do. Bullies. I told somebody. I told somebody one time. Said, "Yeah, bullies." Heck, yeah. I was bullied. I had braces in between my legs by the time I was five and six years old. Man, I walked like this everywhere I went. (laughs) I couldn't walk. That's how I walked. You don't think I was bullied? I was bullied. All right. I was bullied. I know what that's like. I got in fights when I was a kid. I mean, I fought, seems like my, all growing up my whole life, you know. I've had to fight bullies. But I'm going to tell you also, part of the other part of it, bullies are what helped make me me. And I don't know what I would do without them. I praise God for them. Now, does that make what they did right? No. But I would have never learned part of who I am, a piece of me, or what I can live through, or what I can go through if I had not had adversity in my life, man. Praise God for my life. I don't like being flat footed, especially when my brothers, by the time we were in high school, could outrun me and were better, like a more physical specimens than me. Here I am, Mr. Big Brother, who could fight because that's the one thing I did learn how to do. And they were scared of me for that one. <laughs> but by gosh, it was wasteful by the time we got in high school when they can outrun you. <laughs> <laughs> I'd beat them up if I could catch them. Adversity made me better though. I'm going to show you something about adversity in this video.
1: of widespread trophic cascades. A trophic cascade is an ecological process which starts at the top of the food chain and tumbles all the way down to the bottom. And the classic example is what happened in the Yellowstone National Park in the United States when wolves were reintroduced in 1995. Now, we we all know that wolves kill various species of animals, but perhaps we're slightly less aware that they give life to many others. Before the wolves turned up, they'd been absent for 70 years, That the numbers of deer, because there was nothing to hunt them, had built up and built up in the Yellowstone Park, and despite efforts by humans to control them, they'd managed to reduce much of the vegetation there to almost nothing. They'd just grazed it away. But as soon as the wolves arrived, even though they were few in number, they started to have the most remarkable effects. First, of course, they killed some of the deer, but that wasn't the major thing. Much more significantly, they radically changed the behaviour of the deer. The deer started avoiding certain parts of the park, the places where they could be trapped most easily, particularly the valleys and the gorges. And immediately, those places started to regenerate. In some areas, the height of the trees quintupled in just six years bare valley sides quickly became forests of aspen and willow and cottonwood. And as soon as that happened, the birds started moving in. The number of songbirds of migratory birds started to increase greatly. The number of beavers started to increase because beavers like to eat the trees. And beavers, like wolves, are ecosystem engineers. They create niches for other species. And the dams they built in the rivers and provided habitats for otters and muskrats and ducks and fish and reptiles and amphibians. The wolves killed coyotes, and as a result of that, the number of rabbits and mice began to rise, which meant more hawks, more weasels, more foxes, more badgers. Ravens and bald eagles came down to feed on the carrion that the wolves had left bears fed in it too and their population began to rise as well, partly also because there were more berries growing on the regenerating shrubs and the bears reinforced the impact of the wolves by killing some of the calves of the deer. But here's where it gets really interesting. The wolves changed the behaviour of the rivers. They began to meander less. There was less erosion, the channels narrowed, more pools formed, more riffle sections, all of which were great for wildlife habitats, the rivers changed in response to the wolves. And the reason was that the regenerating forests stabilised the banks so that they collapsed less often, so that the rivers became more fixed in their course. Similarly, by driving the deer out of some places and the vegetation recovering on the valley sides... There was a soil erosion because the vegetation stabilized that as well. So the wolves, small in number, transform not just the ecosystem of the Yellowstone National Park, this huge area of land, but also its physical.
0: How many of you have seen that before? Have you seen that before? Yeah, it's pretty awesome. That's... Pain is a part of the process, man. I mean, we think about wolves. We think of it as a bad thing. We think about bullies. We think it's a bad thing. Man, I guarantee you the elk are going, we're so happy these wolves are here. <laughs> you think the deer are like, yes. Those rivers here did change. Right? There's always those. like 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 Like, that's part of it, right? I mean, like, yeah, there, they were. They, we just only, we only hear like the good side of that, right? But like the, the truth of the matter is what? I mean, like, yeah, they killed some of the coyotes. Those guys were like, they, you know, coyotes were like, that was it. They were like, yeah, we got it awesome, awesome. Somebody introduced wolves. What the heck is this bigger species doing here? I mean, like we were the king of the town, man. And then all of a sudden this bigger species is here. And now it's, uh, you know, we're nobodies again now. I mean, like, we're you know, we can't even go out there. I mean, they're killing coyotes. They're killing the small deer. They moved them all the way back up the mountains, got them to act like elk again. Because they're just hanging out in the low and they just eat everything up, and all of a sudden the grass is dying and the, the trees quintupled. Oh my gosh. All because of what? Some wolves who went around killing a few deer. And you know what they did? They weeded out the weak first. That's what bullies do. They weed out the weak, it pushes them up, and it, and it sounds awful like in its process, but everything was better for it. Pain is never fun. Pain is is never fun, but pain is a part of the process of becoming uh, in the image of Jesus. It's part of the process. I know it's hard to swallow, but Paul does assure us that it's part of the plan. That's why in Philippians 1.6 he says, And I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. If you think that you're going to somehow live supernaturally pain free till the day you die, and you're trying to like arrive there spiritually, so you're just like always in this spiritual place where nothing ever bothers you, good luck. Good luck, man. I, I mean, you better come, come up with some pain management right now. Pain management should just be this. I accept it, that there's going to be pain, but I'm going to make it through. I'm going to survive this. I'm, I love the selection. I am not going to quit. I will fall down and die before I quit. It is not going to happen. I'm going to keep doing. I'm going to keep pushing. And if you've repented and you've asked the Lord in your heart, now this process of transforming you has begun, Paul reassures us with this scripture, man, God's going to finish this. I know some of it's painful right now. I know some of it's hard. I know some of it costs you things, man, especially because, you know, you realize who he's talking to at this time, man. You're being persecuted as the church. By the way, if you don't think we're almost there right now, you're crazy. And so as he's talking to them, he's trying to reassure them, listen, God's going to finish the work, brother. I know it's painful at times, but God's going to finish it. He's not going to leave it undone. It's going to to happen. God will not leave you. And it's nice to know, right? He's not going to walk away from this relationship that we have with him. God is in it to the end. That's what Paul's trying to say. I know it's hard, but I'm going to be there. I know it's hard, but we're going to finish this together. God's like running right next to you. Come on, man. Biggest cheerleader. We got this. We can do this. Right? And this is the picture here that the Lord is trying to convey to the Ephesians through Paul. It's what Paul is trying to speak into is that, uh, listen to what he says. He says, now all the glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. How is he going to do that? By showing you places you've never seen. And I'm going to tell you, for some of you, some of those places you'll never see, it's too uncomfortable to go there. So God has got to put some things into your life. How am I going to make this person better at what they do? I might have to send you some adversity. Oh, why do we listen to Paul? Because of adversity. Doesn't Paul take on like a whole other meaning? Have you ever read the book Tortured for Christ by Richard Wormbrand? If you haven't, it's a free book that you can go get on Martyrs for Christ. It's a little thin book. One of the pictures in it you need to see. And one of the things he says, man, is like the most proudest moment for him as a Christian is when he's standing before these group of clergymen who are asking him about his testimony of suffering for Christ uh, uh, in in prison camps under uh, at that time Soviet control, uh, which is great because one of the things he says during during Germany during World War II and all that stuff he says when the Germans came over and afflicted us he goes they they he says we, we praise God for the Germans who tortured us because they prepared us for the Russians. He said the Russians were 10 times worse. He said, so we praised God that God sent the Germans so we would at least have an advantage of knowing what it would be like. What we were in there for. you you got to hear some of the stories, but his greatest moment is when he pulls up his shirt and he turns around and you see all the scars on his back and on his throat where they had cut his throat and slit, slit his throat and he still managed to survive it. To see his mangled heels, I bear the scars of my testimony. Powerful moment in the book. And you see the physical picture of him standing before there. He goes, this is my most proudest deal is that I bared the scars for my testimony, for how I believed and how I thought. When I did that 32-mile hike, you know how I did the last 10 miles with that pack? Because it wasn't about me. Because there's some place that you come to in pain when you don't have anything left and you don't have nothing left. And the same thing they understood in the selection I did. When there's nothing left in you, and the only thing that gets you through is thinking about someone else. I can tell you, if you've been married, you've already been at that place. Where there's sometimes you feel like it's your wit's end, and the one person you think about in that moment is your kids or your spouse or whatever that is. And that gets you through a moment. There comes a time where pain is the great teacher of that. And when you're physically exhausted and you have nothing left. After 22 miles, I remember sitting there and I've got this pack on my back already. And I've got one in my hand and I'm picking it up to put it on the, and there's no place to put it. So you put it kind of on the top of your neck and you just sit there. And for 10 miles, you just want to walk like this the whole way. And it's all you can do. And the reason why, it's not because I just love Scott Mackling so much because that wasn't the case. But in that moment, the only way to get through that moment is to think about something bigger than yourself. And I'm going to tell you, it usually revolves around others. Because there's not enough stuff that will ever have the value that a person will. And in that moment, that's where the brotherhood thing happens. The strength that comes from a heart that's truly concerned about others more than yourself, man. And this brotherhood thing happens that even though we could at times hate each other because we're around each other like siblings who fight, we might as well be blood brothers. Because I'm going to fight and die for this guy. Yeah, I can't stand his mouth. I don't like the way he acts. I can't stand the way he talks. But well, I'm tell you, come against him and see where we stand. I'm going to carry this pack for the last 10 miles. I can't make it. I don't even know how I physically can do it. I'm going to do it because I care about him. I don't even understand how I care about him in that moment, but I'm so physically exhausted and thinking I can't make it. So I'm trying to focus everything I have on him. I'm doing it for him so he can make it. And, and, I, and I, I'm, just going to, I'm just going to throw this out there. Living living for others and living for others, that's where I found life. When I started coming to ministry, one of the things that ministry is all about is, not, is, is you got to right now, man, if you're selfish, don't go into ministry because ministry ain't about you. Ministry is about others. It's always about others, and it's a balance of that, man. And I found living for others. In that moment with Scott, I I found that, man, here I am, man. I am living for him, man. And I found strength that I didn't think I had. I found endurance that I didn't think I had. I, I found some kind of something within me that said I can do this for him. Now, let me throw this out on you. Don't you think that's Jesus at the cross? Come on, man. If you've seen the passion, which most of you have probably how you endure that without giving up. I'm going to tell you right now, you start hitting me with some chains and bones up in that joker, I better have something to think about. Because if in that moment it's all about me, there ain't going to be much of a. You don't have to beat me very hard to get me to say, uh, I'm good, uncle. I I have to think from what I understand about pain, from my understanding, and I just can only give you from my understanding. Your, your understanding of pain will be different than mine. But for the thing that I've experienced in life, man, where other people depended on me or, or in that moment I had to think about somebody else. I can't help but think that Jesus, when he's taking that thing, he's thinking fully at that whole time. I don't got anything left in me, but if I give up, man, it costs everybody. And in that moment, it ain't about Jesus at all. And we say that. But pain should teach us. Pain should teach us the emotional stability of Jesus as man in that moment. I don't have anything In me I I can't even pick up this cross anymore I can't carry this thing any longer I need help doing it but by gosh if I get if I don't try I've got to keep getting up because if I don't try there is no end if there is no end there is no finish there is no beginning there is no death there's no born again there is no death there's no resurrection power that stuff has to take place it has to happen And I can't help but think, and in that moment, man, full of all that pain, Jesus just swipes away and just remembers what it's all for. And in that moment, he gets his strength from that, from love, from love, man. And so like in the military, we have this thing where it's it's like this uh, brotherhood, you know, they made movies about it. The 101st Airborne Company called it, they called it the Band of Brothers. And, and it's just this idea where you've gone through something so so traumatic and so grateful that it bonds you forever. One of the things I, I've often said about ministry, and I, t- I like to tell young pastors that they're going in, I'm going to tell you two things you never miss. You might never do, you might ne- you just these are the things you don't miss. Like whether you ever preach, you never have to preach to be a great pastor. I'm going to tell you that right now. You, know, you, know, you really want to be the most effective minister you can be. Do these things. Go to funerals when people are grieving. Be at birthdays and special events. Why? Because they're in their happiest moments. Let me tell you what else. Be at the hospitals. If you will be there when people need it the most, you won't have to need the pulpit to have influence. You won't have to at all. If you will be there when people are at their happiest moments in life and when people are at their painfulest moments in life, those are, the, those are the most ministering times we have to each other. They are the, really the things that make our life better. Man, we can always, there's enough preachers out there for you to hear a sermon every day of the week, every second, every hour. But I promise you, there's not enough friends out there to be there at a funeral. There's not enough friends out there to be there at the bedside of a hospital visit or a rest home or nursing home or, or, or a birthday party or anything else. Well, I don't even think they saw me. doesn't matter. We're living for other people. Wow, man, I'm just so tired. I know. I know. Welcome to pain. Can you imagine Jesus is tired once in a while? I got to think Jesus is skinny. He walks everywhere. He just eats nothing but fish. Dude's starving, man. I mean, I know they had like all that fish and bread, and they fed 5,000, but you know people just eating a little bit of fish, a little bit of bread. Come on, man. Just, it's a miracle that he fed them all. But I mean, Jesus is walking everywhere. He's in Galilee. He's in Jerusalem. He's walking everywhere. Here's this guy, man. He endured everything. He goes through the pain of the cross, the pain of persecution. And here's Paul. Paul endures all this pain. By the way, if you remember in Ephesus, he was ran out of town. They rioted, threatened to kill him, and they ran him out of town. And the whole church is born in that pain, in that pain. All children are birthed in pain. All great things are birthed in pain. What are we so scared of sometimes? Is it going to hurt? Well, it's going to hurt, Pastor Jim. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. In the Marine Corps, we have a saying: "Embrace the pain. Embrace it. Might be your greatest life lesson. Might be the greatest thing you ever learn. Will it be the hardest thing you ever learn? Yeah, because it's painful. Yeah. But you'll survive it. You'd be surprised what you can get through. Some of you don't know it because you've never had to experience it. But I'm promise you, you can take a lot. I've, we had a we had a kid last story. We had a kid in in boot camp. Literally, he was this little, skinny, frail kid. I mean, I don't even think he was 100 pounds. I mean, I, like, I honestly think recruiters, they're pretty shady, when some of the people they get. This kid, his last name was Ray. I don't remember his first name, but his last name was Ray. And the only reason I remember that is because he always just looked so helpless. He was just like, you know. And, and when we would be in, on a ruck or something or on a run, he was just always like, He's always, like, back is over, kind of hunched over and everything. And the drill instructor, started, they started they nicknamed him Grandma Ray. <laughs> and, man, first weekend, I'm like, dude, Grandma Ray ain't going to make that junk. I mean, like, this, this brother, man, he's like a buck-o-five, man. He's like, a, he's just bone, you know? He looked like a skeleton out here with some skin. That brother ain't going to make it, man. And I mean, like, and, and then the amazing part of the first couple of weeks is you see that kid, and you're like, that kid ain't going to be here at the end. And then, like, you see these guys are, like, real strong-looking dudes walk in. Like, they've been in prayer their whole life. Within the first two weeks, one of the strongest guys we have, like, totally, like, balls his way out, tries to kill himself. And, I mean, it's, like, horrible within his first two weeks. I graduated with Grandma Ray. (laughs) That kid made it all the way to the end. He survived it. You know, at the end, what you don't find, here's what pain teaches you. Physical attributes mean nothing. It's all here, man. Do you physically have what it takes here to just keep going and keep going and keep going? The selection's been a neat little process, especially as I approach this subject when we just happened to hit it on Ephesians 3 here, and you see that how the wolves make changes, and I just happened to experience that. It's like it's funny how God like orchestrates this whole weekend for, for it to be like that, and man, I hope that's not like a symbolic gesture as to what's to come as I take off with my wife, but... Uh, <laughs> The, the irony of, I've had to talk a lot about bullies, I've had to talk a lot about those things in life, and I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if you can't appreciate even some of those painful moments as some of the greatest life lessons of your life, you're missing it. You're missing what God's trying to teach you, and more than likely you will face it again. Because God's a little bit more hard-headed than you. God is after you. He wants you back. No matter how much you run, he's always on the pursuit of you. He's not going to let you go. And if that means his life has to get a little painful once in a while, he's good with that. Because it could be worse. And God knows where it can be worse. And God doesn't want that for you. So a little pain here is a lot better than a little pain somewhere else. That's just the way it is, man. And we don't like to talk like that. Pastors don't like to talk like that. It sounds depressing. I get it. It does. But it's the truth. One of the things I've always hated about ministry a lot is because we have a hard time telling the truth. We want to shape the gospel to make it very pretty. But the proof of the matter is there's no way you can pretty up the crucifixion. There's no way you can pretty up the passion, the the time right before it, man. There's no way you can pretty up the book of Acts. Oh, it's glorious moment. I know we focus in on chapter 2 and we just see this glory right there. But man, it is so full of problems. And listen, even the, the, the apostles who we glorify weren't even the greatest, like, like, it's not like they were like, had just great eyes and they were just so smart. In all their intelligence that we bask in by the way of their scriptures, these are the, also this, like we read first Peter, like Peter was just so good. This guy, he called him out in that book of Acts, like we could definitely see the change. He also missed that Paul was had any value whatsoever to the ministry until later in his life. Barnabas brought him before. Remember, Barnabas brought Paul right, right, before him and said, "This guy's got a testimony. You got to hear. God's going to use this guy." Awesome. Um, go home. <laughs> Preach the gospel there. We got bigger things than you, Paul. I mean, they weren't that rude about it, but it was just like that. It was just we ain't got time for you, Paul. We don't got time for. We hear a lot of good testimonies. We totally missed that one. People are normal. The Bible is like, the funny thing about the Bible is we make, it, we make a lot of things supernatural that are just very normal. We glorify a lot of people that are very normal, have normal ministries, have normal missteps, have normal things that go wrong and go right. We can point out all the flaws of Peter and point out all the good things of Peter. We can point out flaws of Paul and we can say all the good things about Paul. We can, all these things. But the pro, here's what I'll, if we'll just do this, pull all that together and that's the life. That's life. And you have the same life. It's full of ups and it's full of downs. And how you process pain and how you process this, what I call it, the ministry of suffering. Or the gift of suffering. We'll say a lot about who you are down the road and how mature you grow in Christ. Amen? I'm going to call the worship team back in. To always talk about suffering. I, I know a lot of pastors, man, they like trying to almost like to avoid it. Because they know it's the truth. We're going to suffer. That's just nothing you can do about it. It's just how it is. But pain is part of the process. Pain is part of the process. parks of a restaurant.